cliffcentral.com. But I do want to turn our attention to a man. I, w- I had the pleasure of working with him uh, for some time at 702. He's written a great book, which came out last year. We were going to talk to him last year about the book. But um, we, we, for various reasons, and mostly around scheduling, didn't get around to it. I'm thrilled, though, to have him with us today. His book is called I Don't Want to Die Unknown. We need to listen to our inner voice. And his name is Dan Moyani. Dan Moyani is going to join us in just a second to talk about his book. And um, I'm thrilled to speak to Dan. It has has been a while. I, I had some interaction with him when we were both at ENCA a short while ago. I had a show there until, what was it, June or July of last year. And every time I saw Dan, I would smile. And he's got just a, a you know big heart, um, a great mind. He's made a huge contribution to broadcasting. But we also worked together many years before that when he was my boss at Prime Media and I was doing the morning show on 702. He, of course, has a very interesting, colorful, and amazing story to tell about his life in broadcasting. We'll talk a little bit about that, too. I'm pleased to welcome to the show this morning Mr. Dan Moyani. How are you, sir? Morning, Gareth. Uh, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? It's nice to see you, Dan. How's everybody? How's the family, and how was your Christmas and New Year? Uh, Well... Everybody's okay. Christmas was quiet, but as you know, we were very busy after Archbishop Desmond Tutu passed away yes. on Boxing Day. So that last week of December, from a media perspective, was a little bit uh, active. But other than that, uh, all is good. Thanks for asking. And how are you? No, I'm very good. Listen, Dan, first of all, congrats on the book. Um, you know, it's it's a tremendous thing to be able to put your story down. And you, you tell... Uh, your story from your earliest days and kind of how you grew up and in Soweto, how the title of your book comes about because you were lying there in 1969, the very year that Armstrong walked on the moon. And you said to yourself, and I think this is so important because often people talk about, you know, um, manifesting. And here you said to yourself as a kid, I don't want to die unknown. I want people to know that I lived and that I made a contribution. And uh, so many years later, I don't think anyone would doubt that you've done exactly that. Uh, How important was it? You know, a lot of people make these stories up when they look back on their lives. But how important was it to you to have said those words to yourself then and having that self-belief that you clearly did at that stage and working hard, as you also did through the course of your career to get to this point? I mean, it it must feel good. And at the same time, it, it helps you to share with other people that it's within their power to do the same, right? Yes, indeed, Gareth. I mean, just to rewind a little bit. Remember, I'm I'm a a, a ten year old boy, and this big story that we're hearing about is this moon landing. There's no television uh, mm-hmm. in South Africa those years, so we're not seeing this thing on any screens. It's on radio. My my dad was an ardent radio listener, plus right. an, an ardent reader. Not having gone to school himself, he really uh, uplifted himself by, by learning how to read and write in different languages. So he listens to radio, and that's the news. So the very first thought uh, is not exactly like, I don't want to die unknown. The thought is looking up at the moon and and I recall this very clearly, asking my mom, but where are these guys? Because, I mean, <laughs> silly old me, I'm thinking when you look up at the moon, you'll see people, you know, walking, walking on, yeah, sure. on the moon well, you were 10. as a 10-year-old. And my, yeah, and my mom just laughs and travels. And then, and then the, the weeks after and in the time and the months after, I have this feeling in me that starts like how sad it would be for me to have lived and born and existed and 
only known to my parents, my immediate relatives, family and friends, my colleagues and stuff. It even becomes stronger. Hence, uh, I, I had an I had an aunt uh, Tandi, uh, may her soul rest in peace. She 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 was a, a matron at the Baraguanas Hospital, so we get to visit her sometimes. And I'm surrounded by these uh, images of, of of men and women in white uniform wearing stethoscopes, others not wearing stethoscope. And when I walk there, I'm hearing all the time people being called, you know, Doctor So and So, please come to Ward Number What What. We are needed here, and I'm thinking, wow, how cool it would be one day for me people to be walking and they hear dr moyana you're needed here and there so so that feeling just grew (laughs) and grew and grew and i knew very early on then that um, i would have to do things i would have to live my life in a way that would make me known beyond my immediate circle dan you've your microphone is is rubbing on your collar there if you can just pull that away from your collar it'll help us to just hear you a little bit better the mic on your on your headphones yeah, if you just pull that away from oh, your – yeah, yeah, it's, it's just okay. clipping a little bit there. So there we go. Okay. That's a whole lot better. Um, so, Dan, I mean, wh- why write the book, though? Because this is – you know, you, you're, you're a man who's still very much involved in the media. Many of us – warned me about this. <laughs> no problem. Sipiwe is here to, to admonish you this morning as well. But, Dan, you know, you, you wrote this book, but you're on our screens daily. You're, you're one of those people who brings us the news. You've been in management in broadcasting for a while. You've understood – everything there is to, to do in radio, you've pretty much done it all. Um, and, and you also have a really interesting story to tell in terms of, you know, the, your political background and what you were doing in Mozambique for all those years. There's the lovely story of how you met your wife at the time. And, you know, there's some stories about what you've done in business since your kids, how they come into the story. But to write this stuff is hard work. Um, what made you decide to do the book? Because you have a pretty full plate already. It's not like you're sitting around doing nothing. Mm. <laughs> Gareth, uh, as far back as 2015, um, I was uh, asked by different people all the time. Each time I engage with people, particularly young people in my circles, people younger than me. Mm. And when I shared some stories, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, at my age, one has gone through a lot. I mean, I've spent like, um, uh, this is my 42nd year in media. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and through that time, as you reflect, and people say, ah, oh, but you must put that down. Maybe you should write a book. Maybe you should. So I started in 2015 on my own to say, let me just put some thoughts down and stuff. So it was, it was um, uh, brought on by people around me and my family as well saying, hey, you know, you've got such a, some, some interesting stories. And I would share them sometimes around the dinner table with my kids. And they say, wow, Ted, what, what about this? What about that? Then I realized one thing, Kara. And that came even crystal clear last year uh, in the middle of this pandemic. We are all reflecting about all mm-hmm. kinds of things, as you know, and, 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 and the meaning of everything. And we're all sometimes so uncertain and mm-hmm. sometimes confused. So it came to me that in line with that, it would be so tragic for me to have done everything I've done. And if I'm blessed one day, if I'm blessed one day with grandchildren, and then this line of the... Of, of the Moyana family continues. And one day they'll be sitting in the future. You know, imagine the year 2050. I'll be long dead. I'll be a fossil by 2050. <laughs> and they say, but who was this guy? And maybe they find out. And there's nowhere to go and find stuff. Yeah. And in today's world where narratives come and go so quickly and people 
influence things. I thought, let me put thoughts down. So as a legacy, hence I say the book is part memoir, part legacy. So I've put down what my father could not do, my mom could not do. They had very rich stories and histories and backgrounds, as you, as, as you, as you find out when you read the book. Yes. But that was all oral history. Mm-hmm. Now, normally you will tell your story better than me. I can't tell Gareth Cliff's story. Mm-hmm. Only Gareth can tell his story better than me. Simpure right. will be the best person to tell the Simpure story better than anybody right. else. So, so I thought then last year, suddenly, by the end of last year, it clicked. And, uh, and, and my younger son, who's my namesake, uh, made me do stuff uh, that I never thought I would do. And a couple of other people I was interacting with, they said, no, you must set up a YouTube channel. You must talk to people. I said, no, I'm not Gareth Cliff. Gareth Cliff knows these online things better than me. But everybody's doing it. So I said, as part of that journey of part memoir, part legacy, I will write a book. So the decision was finally made in December 2020. I love the answer because you also include the stories of your parents. And I think this is something that so many of us miss out on. You know, unless you are um, the kind of person who who likes to dig around and do the historical research, and let's also admit that that's hard work, that's tough to do. Uh, Many South Africans and many black South Africans grow up with only the oral history, and they miss out on a lot of the stuff because obviously – you know, there's a broken telephone that happens, so stuff is lost along the way. Um, there are many great stories that people don't remember exactly. You know, the people who you talk to, the elders in the in the in the family, they often forget things because they're very old by the time young people start to take an interest in them. And I think this is really important. I think your book is also a bit of a a call to all of us to just write down our own stories. Your your subtitle to your book is "We Need to Listen to Our Inner Voice." But I think the, the, the lesson that I took out of this, especially hearing the stories about your mom and dad, um, was that we need to appreciate people while they're around and write down some of the things while we have them in our lives. Go to your old people in your family and sit down with them and talk to them and, and get these stories because it's part of who you are and it's part of what you hand on to your kids or to your nephews or your nieces or whoever it might be. This is how we enrich our cultural tapestry. I love it. Yeah, no, you know, Gareth, you've used a word there, uh, some words that my father used to use. My father died in 2007. He was uh, two, he was 94, you know, and and the bloody bugger decided to die on Christmas oh, wow. Eve, <laughs> so that we'll never forget, because he was a Christian. So when comes that time, every year on Christmas Eve, we know that it's my dad's time and I can never forget. So we honor him by going to his graveside, paying our respects on Christmas Eve. OK, so I, I, I used to laugh that he's got a very funny sense of humor in, in a way. So the point is, Gareth, we have to appreciate ourselves and the people around us while they are. around. my father used to say, don't thank me when I'm lying in my coffin when you've bought this expensive coffin and you've covered it with this expensive blanket and you are hosting this beautiful funeral, I'm not there. I won't be able to enjoy anything. You want to buy me a suit? Buy me where I can wear it and use it. Don't wait until I'm in my coffin and then buy this suit and show off to people that you were looking after me when you were not. So my dad used to do the same. My father, I would go to Soweto, a white city, Jababu, when they're still alive, buy him something. He'll thank me 
when as soon as I give it to you, say, oh, thank you, my son. I said, but dad, you always thank me. I'm your son. I must do this. He said, no, I must always thank you so you can hear it, that I'm, I'm appreciative. So you're right. We need to appreciate. And there's a lot of rich tapestry mm. that we all come from in Southern Africa. Beautiful stories. And as I said in my introduction of the book, if my story or part of what I've written resonates, one thing resonates with one individual, then I would have achieved something with the book in terms of the legacy. And that's really the, the point, because we come from such rich backgrounds. I mean, you all remember uh, the famous I'm an African speech by yes, the former president Tabon Tabon Beke. Beke in May 1996. Yes, at a celebration, sorry, uh, of the Constitution mm -hmm. some years ago. I mean, in it, he, he starts by tracing his roots as an African and that DNA, that tapestry you're talking about, that comes from Europe, it comes from the Khoisan, mm -hmm. it comes from Malaysia, Cape Malay slaves, it comes from India uh, with our Indian compatriots, it comes from the hinterland of Southern Africa with migrant mine workers from Botswana, Lesotho, mm. Eswatini, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Malawi, over decades, eh? not last year, yep. not two years ago, Absolutely. over decades, you know, from the time that uh, gold mines were discovered in the 1800s in Johannesburg. So we all have something that we can pass on and share. And the biggest lesson for me was that there's nothing, Gareth, as uplifting as knowing where you come from, who oh, you yeah. are, how you come to being, and how you interact with the rest of the world. So, so when writing this book, at some points, I mean, I had tears in my eyes, a lump in my throat, I had laughter, and I thought, wow, you know, I've been so blessed. And I don't take it for granted, and I'm not saying it because we're talking about the book, but it is just that I've had a damn fortunate life all over these years. Because if I look around me, things could have been worse for me. Dan, I, I want to get into your career. I also want Simpiwe and um, Bulelo to, to jump in here because it's not really just an interview with me and you about your book, although there's lots about your career that we can still get into. Mariska says in the comments, Hi, Dan. It's awesome to see one of my favorite people on one of my favorite shows. Um, and a lot of people here saying that they absolutely love you on TV. They loved you on radio. Some people bringing up Shosho Loza back in 1995, which was a big thing. I mean, you didn't you win some kind of uh, record-breaking uh, South African Music Award for that? You did, didn't you? No, uh, you, you're putting me right up there at the <laughs> level of the Summer Awards. No, I never got there. But what happened? What happened, it hit, in terms of my, my CD, the Shosholoza one was called a mini CD. The reason is it didn't have 10 or more uh, tracks. tracks yeah. Okay? So it was less than that. Yeah. And for, for that kind of, a, of an album at that time, if you sold plus 20,000 copies in, 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 in a short space of time, you, got, you became a, a gold. So I got, uh, I got awarded a gold thing by, by Sony BMG. That wow. is a company that published it. Because within a week, within a week, it sold more than 20,000 copies. And then it continued on to, to sell more. You know, thank you very much for people who are listening and, um, and, and passing their regards. I appreciate it. Uh, and the, the, your other colleague you said is what? It's, um, it's Mbulelo. Mbulelo. What is the name? Sorry. Mbulelo. 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 Thank you very much, Mbulelo. Yeah, so, Simpiwe uh, and, and, and Bulelo. Sorry, Mbulelo, I apologize. No problem. D 
Dan, um, you're not the first. Let let them jump in because I'm sure they've watched you on TV and they want to know something about how the, the the current news job goes. I I want to go back a little bit further, but but let them have a go first. Um, Bulelo and Simpiwe, you obviously know, know who Dan is. Uh, what do you what do you want to know about this man? He's he's got a long and interesting history in in the world of broadcasting. Well, I'd like to start by asking, what is your favorite childhood memory? Because you've written this book now and you had to go down memory lane. And I'm sure that sparked up something where you're like, oh, yeah, if I could go back a couple of years <laughs> when I didn't have to pay bills, that would be great. My favorite childhood memory um, is um, when there will be family gatherings. Uh, my father belonged to a society. Uh, that was at family links and then they'll come together because on that day they will be singing you know traditional songs and and hymns and stuff and you could eat anything you wanted to and uh, we you didn't have to wait for christmas because you get jelly and custard on the day and there'll be khamer and, and stuff so whenever the society came together i think they used to meet like four times a year kind of thing not regularly and then they will go around. So wherever we went, and it also meant we traveled. It also meant it was an opportunity to leave White City and we'll be going either to Telisa, we'll be going to Pretoria, we'll be going out of my normal thing. So it came with a bit of a travel, came with a bit of fun, and a, a, a little bit of that uh, kind of of uh, of uh, free, you know, being free as a child because the parents were busy with their meeting, doing their stuff. You were running around and doing whatever you wanted on that particular. That's just one of my favorite moments <laughs> with the family. I just want to show. <laughs> I just want to show everybody because there's some beautiful pictures in your book too. There's a picture of your father just dressed incredibly beautifully. He's a he was a very elegant man. But I noticed that his surname was Moyana. So how did it become Moyane? Okay. Um, I mentioned it in the book. My, my, my father, uh, when he went to register me mm. in the native, in the Department of Native Affairs uh, in November 1959, after I was born in August, the, the gentleman who helped him uh, was a white Africana who misspelled my name. Right. My full name is Daniel Tsakani uh, uh, Moyane. Hmm. But we are Moyanas. Hmm. So instead of putting a Moyana, he must have had the Moyana. He put an E uh, at the end. And uh, as you know, in, in Brakpan, on the East Rand, in Ekuruleni, in Gauteng, there's a township called Sakane. Yes. But it ends with an E. But this guy decided to spell mine with an I. <laughs> so I'm the only I'm the only Tsonga man who spells his his Takane with an e with an i instead of an e and I'm the only I'm the only Moyana who spells Moyana with an e at the end so in 1977 my dad said hey man you are now um older you must get your pass and stuff you know this uh, this the government the police will arrest you and stuff so he insisted so we went to new canada then it was the Department of Bantu Affairs. That's in the 70s now. And uh, the guy there as well, I was there. He refused to change it. My father was explaining to him, showed him his own uh, pass. Uh, he said, here's my pass. I'm Moyana. He's my son. He said, hey, the birth certificate says Moyana. So that's all we're doing. Oh, wow. So that's it. And my father said, my son, don't worry. You are a Moyana. You know that you are a Moyana. And that's all that, that, uh, that matters. So he said, don't worry about changing it. And then later on, I thought, ah. With Democrats, I said, ah, let me go to home affairs and change it. People are changing names, people dropping, using certain names and 
incorporating new names. And I said, to go back there, I mean, everything I've done, even my kids, my four kids, they're Moyanes with an mm. E. I registered them like that. And I said, ah, it doesn't really matter. We are all Moyanes. It's fine. So that's how it happened. And Gareth is not, I'm not the only one. I'm sure there are millions of South Africans yeah. with, uh, oh, with similar stories. Plenty. With similar stories. Yes. yes. Dan, the, the, the story of, of meeting um, your wife, I mean, this is so interesting because radio is such a big part of your life. You mentioned how your father was a big radio listener. And that that might have been how you initially started to develop a love for the medium. But everything in your life seems to have also had radio in it in some way, shape or form. You know, meeting your wife, um, kind of the, the, the Mozambique connection. And we'll talk a little bit about your role in politics in, in Maputo and how important Maputo was in your story, too. Perhaps you could just give us an oversight of, of what that all means, because there are some themes that come through the book. And radio is definitely one of them. Yeah. Remember, uh, when I grew up, I, like most black South Africans, we had very limited career opportunities. And there were a few of them that were seen as prestigious by families. You know, if you became a teacher, mm. you know, the family's name becomes uh, more respected. Maybe a lawyer, even a clerk. You work as a clerk. You say, hey, my son, mm. my son is a clerk. You know, it's like a big thing then. You work in an office, you're a mm. clerk, you know. Or you became a, a police officer. <laughs> you know, people say, oh, you're police, you know. Or you wanted something more. And if you wanted something more, you had to be a doctor. So the influence around me, like when I grew up, I wanted to be a doctor, I wanted to be a pediatrician. But as you said correctly, I, I was growing up in, an, in a home where fortunately uh, I was exposed to news and current affairs very early on. My dad used to consume that like nobody's business, uh, 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 bringing home his boss's Ren Daily Mail every day. I don't know if many people remember the newspaper mm -hmm. in the old days, the Ren Daily Mail. And then also listening to radio, like English radio service on SABC, Radio Zulu, now Ukozi FM, mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes Springbok Radio, you know, Springbok Radio. And, and later on, we used to listen to LM Radio on shortwave. Yep. So, so, so I, those influences are there, but I don't really pay much attention to them when I'm growing up because I want to be a doctor and I want to be a pediatrician. So now I end up uh, uh, in Mozambique after 1976. I went there in 1979. And, and then I get there, literally, Gareth, and I always tell people, it's like I fell into the world of media. Why? Because when I got there, uh, young, uh, 19-year-old, uh, looking for opportunities, trying to find a political home and finding the ANC and joining the ANC, they, I was also looking for a job. I needed an upkeep. I needed to survive. And, and, and I used to write uh, what I regarded uh, as good poetry. I don't think, I don't, looking back, I don't think it was. I lost <laughs> most of my poems then. But one of them, one of them was published. One of them was published by the weekly Maputo newspaper, a uh, magazine called Tempo, which literally means time in Portuguese. So it was a weekly current affairs. I bumped into this guy at the magazine when I went cheekily, uh, you know, you know, when you are young and militant, uh, nothing, is impossible. So I walked in there and said, hi, I'm from Soweto. I've got a poem. Can you publish it? And this guy, Zé Batista, he learned his name later, looked at me and fortunately spoke some English. He said, okay, I'll translate it for you. We'll publish it. And I wanted it to be published on about June 16. It was about June 16. And, um, and I published it under my African name, Takane, correctly spelled, you'll be pleased to know, right. with an E at the end. Uh -huh. And in Maputo, they, they know their stuff there. <laughs> so, um, but unfortunately, the, the last few pages where they used to dedicate it for some literature were packed. So they published it in September that year and, uh, and everything. And that relationship with Zeb Batista developed 
into making me get into the media. He then invited me for dinner over his home, and he was living with one of uh, Mozambique's veteran journalists today, one of the top, top journalists today, Fernando Lima. He's still around. And introduced me to Fernando Lima, who then introduced me to Mr. Uh, Ian Christie, who was the editor of the English publication of the Mozambique, Mozambique News Agency, government-owned. Remember, Gareth, Mozambique at the time was one-party state That's right. led by Frelimo yes. at the time. So yeah. everything was government-owned and state-run and stuff like that. And then that's how it happened. But in that, I then get into radio at a very historic time in, in Southern Africa uh, through Mr. Ian Christ, who then employs me as a young intern uh, 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 then, we they then set up a new radio station in English the day, literally, the day after Robert Mugabe and the rest of ZANU-PF freedom fighters went back to Salisbury, now <laughs> Harare, right. okay, in 1980. They used to broadcast a Chimurenga radio, Radio Freedom of ZANU from Maputo using certain frequencies. And Frelimo decided they didn't want to lose those frequencies. They wanted to keep them. So they turned it into an English radio station and its one aim was to counter apartheid propaganda in Southern Africa. That's to right. broadcast the other side, to broadcast the other side, because shortwave, you can listen to shortwave radio from anywhere, as you know. That's right. FM, FM is limited. This is way before internet radio now. People are listening to us, hopefully in Beijing yeah. or maybe in Oslo, I don't know, yeah. where you've got your audience. I understand you've got a global audience, so I'm sure people are watching us from all over. But those days, shortwave was like that. You could just tune in. You find it on your transistor radio anywhere. So that was the idea. That's what happens, literally. So I fell into it when I was looking for a job. I didn't go there saying, I want to be a journalist, I right. want to be media. And by the end of 1980, I was bloody in love with this thing. You know, really, <laughs> I just loved it because I, I discovered I love telling stories. And then I was really trained. I mean, Ian Chris was a Scotsman. And he sold rest in peace. Uh, and he passed away here in Johannesburg in my home of throat cancer in the year 2000. And, 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 and he, they trained me. I mean, Gareth. You guys, uh, I don't know, you guys are having it nice and easy. You, when you started at 702, you had it very easy there, you bloody bugger. The, 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 when we started, for nine months, for nine months, uh, uh, I used to make tea and coffee for the editors, uh -huh. run errands, go and buy a newspaper, go downstairs, oh, go no. upstairs. Listen, I didn't have it easy. I did have to make coffee and tea for John Robbie, and you know what a, a nightmare. No, no, not that, for me. You know what not a nightmare. No, you, I was your boss. You never made it for me. You made it for you, John Robbie. You were so you important. You didn't make it for me. You were so you important. You, you were already like two <laughs> floors up by then. When I joined, you were already deputy, <laughs> deputy chairperson. Ladies. You'd long ago left Ladies. us broadcasters behind. <laughs> Let's leave it in the past. Ladies, ladies, please, let's put our handbags away. <laughs> You've both done fine. Mulelo, Mulelo, thank you. But anyway, anyway, it took me about nine months. So in that space, um, that's 1980. So like today in South Africa with skills development, what do you call it? Learnerships. Companies do learnerships, do mm -hmm. internships. When you get young people to come in as interns, Radio Mozambique was doing it then, way back in the in the in the seventies and the eighties. So every year they would go to secondary schools around to go and speak to high school students. You know, your grade tens, grade elevens, to say, you know, maybe you can consider a career in media. Mm. My current wife Odette was at the Matola Secondary School, and then she was one of those who was then. Uh, enticed, excited, and uh, attracted to radio in 1982. So I was already in radio two years, and then one more of the days I'm walking out of the building, there's a group of students, 
And then there's this young sexy thing standing there, and I'm thinking, oh, who's that one? Dressed very colorfully. In the book, there's a picture. Yes. I put a picture, but it's in black and white. <laughs> yes. She was dressed exactly, exactly like that. But you do and explain. I still remember the, you the explain. Colors. Yeah, you say in the picture because it's beautiful. I mean, again, this is just part of what's uh, in this incredible book. But you say the outfit she was wearing when I first saw her. If the photo was in color. This is what you would see, an orange top and a skirt with green, orange, and white stripes. And this is the picture here, which is, I mean, you can hardly see it. I'm not giving it any justice, but that's the picture of your wife when you first saw her. What an amazing thing yes. to have. So many people can only describe their very bad memory of the first time they met the love of their life, but you actually have a picture of her in that outfit. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I saw her. Let me correct. I didn't make it that day. I saw her and I got hooked like crazy. And then a few weeks later, the same group came back and there she was now dressed differently. And then I then moved. I made the first move. <laughs> you, know? you don't even know what you say. The rest is history. That's 1982. So it was very fortunate for me that I, I was in radio at the time and then she happened to be in radio. And then I was growing uh, in radio uh, at the time. So radio just carried me through up to 1989 hmm. uh, 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 at a very historic time in the country yes. when uh, the, the, the Nationalist Party government under declared decides to free some veteran political leaders like Walter Sisulu, Govin Beki, Andrew Mlangeni, Elias Mutsualedi, uh, Raymond Mshaba and the rest of them ahead of Mandela being right. released in, in 1990. And that time, uh, 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 one of the radio stations in South Africa that I didn't know existed was Radio uh, 702. Mm. Radio 702 started in 1980. I'd left the country then, long mm. ago. So I did not know about Radio 702. But then they needed a correspondent on a story following an, an attack. There was civil war in Mozambique at the time, as you know, with Renamo and Absolutely. stuff like that. And then their normal regular host, a friend of mine, Karl Meyer, was was gone and traveled. Then they found me via the BBC. By then I was a correspondent for BBC World Service Focus on Africa program on radio. Now it's also on TV before they had a TV program. So so they called me, they found my number via the BBC and that's when I got to know 702 and I met um, um, a lady whom I still regard as one of the best current affairs producers this country has had in radio, uh, Debbie Mayer today. Mm. She was then Debbie Debbie Hewitz, you know That's Debbie right. Hewitz. That's right. And Debbie Mayer today. And and she called me and then I, I was very suspicious. I thought it was the SABC. I wouldn't do anything for the SABC, which was run by the National Party at the time. <laughs> and and then and, and then also risk being known as maybe somebody who's who's a traitor or betraying the revolution or you know, because the SABC right. was the enemy, Absolutely. part of the enemy establishment at the time. So, so, so um, that's when I met Radio 702. When I came back home, I then introduced myself to Mike Wills. You remember him? Yep. He was the editor, news editor. And then I met the rest of the gang, the, the likes of, 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 of him and Chris Gibbons and the rest. Then S702 was downtown. So my journey in radio began way back in, in 1980 when I was looking for a job uh, to survive. And then the rest, is, as they say, is history. And I mean, I still love radio to bits today. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't mind television. And at ENC, they know that. I just wish I could go on air without makeup because I think oh, I'm yeah. pretty handsome without makeup. Yeah, and Dan, you, you've, uh, you've aged well. I mean, uh, I, I don't think that you look any older than when I first met you at 702. Although looking at these pictures, which goes back all the way to the 1950s, you know, you, you, you've changed if you look at the book. But I do have to say, because we, we've, we've almost run out of time here and I could talk to you all day, 
it's it's really such a pleasure to see someone who's got such a lovely story to tell and you're so humble about your incredible achievements you've been in in you know in in important management roles you've been the person who's been there to tell us about massively historical events whether it's on tv or on radio over the last couple of years and it's just so good to spend time talking to you about a career that deserves the amount of attention and love that you do get from the audiences who who love you. And Dan, it's it's just great to see your book. Uh, you, you also include in here uh, ways people can keep in touch with you. The book is called I Don't Want to Die Unknown. You don't have to worry about that, my friend. It's an incredible story. Dan Moyani's book, please pick it up. It's also available as an ebook. And um, I'm sorry we're out of time because I don't think we even scratched the surface of all the things that we could get into there. But some beautiful, beautiful stories. Dan, thank you. Uh, what time are you on TV today? Uh, I'm not on today. I'll be back on Monday. Uh, I've just taken a bit of time out. I've got other things that I'm busy with uh, today and tomorrow. I'll be back on Monday. It's from 2 o'clock to 5 o'clock uh, in the afternoon on, on ANCA. Uh, as you say, hashtag DSTV403. There we go. Dan Moyani, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, Mbule, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Mbulelo. Nice meeting you. And thank you, Spiwe. Thank you very much. I'm yeah. sure we'll we'll catch up again. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate gr- the great to meet. Yeah, I don't take it's it for great granted. to meet a, uh, It's great to meet a fellow social and cultural commentator. <laughs> <laughs> Bulelo thinks he's on your level. Thank it's you. outrageous. Um, thank but, <laughs> but thank you so much. Uh, Simpiwe and Bulelo, you, you. Hardly, you hardly got a word in edgewise this morning. It's my fault, but it was good to catch up with you, Dan. And we'll speak soon. Okay. Have a great year, guys. Thank you thank very you, much. Thank you, Dan. Happy New Year. You too. Absolutely. Dan Moyane, and uh, always good to see him. Great to catch up with him. I'm sorry I hardly let you guys have a chance. Ah, he's a legend. <laughs> Certified. Yeah. Amazing. He's a legend. Amazing guy. Cliffcentral.com.